Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Again, thank you so much for being here this evening. And before our special speaker comes to preach for us this night, I just have a few items to talk about. We have our tithe and offerings envelopes. Um, again, uh, commend commendations to everybody on, on all the giving that we have been doing so far. And then also our special gift right now is the Christmas gift to Jesus Fund. So whatever we would normally spend on ourselves or others during this time, let us think about sending some money in for um, projects around the building, special offerings that we can give towards others because we're celebrating Jesus, Jesus Christ's birth. So let us uh, show that to him. And then we also have our stewardship forms that we can provide to anybody who doesn't have those yet. Those are just for our missions giving for the year. That's between you and the Lord, whatever the Lord would have you give. We do have the Sword of Lords available down here as well, a newspaper that you can grab here physically, but also you can subscribe to. We have a subscription form that you can send in, not to us, but to Sword of the Lord, and it's $20 a year. It makes for a great gift to somebody as we're thinking about Christmas coming up. But then also, if you listen to podcasts, you may also be interested to know that there is a a very good podcast out there called Preach the Bible Classics. And what it is is essentially uh, sermons from old-time preachers from the past, people like Lester Roloff, Wally Davis, uh, Harold Seitler, Curtis Hudson, John R. Rice, Lee Robertson. All of those will bless your heart. They bless my heart whenever I want to hear an old-time preacher. Other than our, our own pastor, we're thankful for him. And now let us continue our missions journey. You know, for over the last two, two weeks or so, we have listened to a story of a preacher from the past. Maybe it was uh, Henry Knott, or maybe it was Samuel Mar Marsden. Uh, or also, we've listened to missionary letters from our own missionaries, people of the present who are currently out on the mission field. And this evening, I'd like to share with you the missionary letter from the Stallcup family. And the Stallcup family has been here previously in our missions conferences. They are missionaries to the Muslims in New York City. And he starts off his newsletter by saying this, Praise the Lord for the tremendous opportunities we had to share the word of God on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. So the Muslims there in New York City also need Jesus. And he says, Over 16,000 scriptures were distributed that day. We had numerous gospel conversations with people who were at the World Trade Center. To God be the glory. We pray that much fruit will come from these scriptures. He continues to talk about the Afghan refugee crisis that's going on right now, and he doesn't look at it as a crisis. He looks at it as an opportunity. He says, I have heard estimates that the number of new Afghan refugee arrivals may be 50,000 or far more. He said there are at least 160 cities across the nation that have a refugee resettlement agency hoping to resettle Afghan families. So he's trying to do his part and get the word out there and be able to get information out to people in those areas who can be able to share the gospel with those Afghans. He continues his letter, This month I took orientation training for volunteering with a couple of the local refugee resettlement agencies. We also narrowed down which... Uh, teaching English to Speakers of Other Languages course we should gain our certification from. We are taking ours from Bridge. Pray that we can get our assignments completed quickly and learn the material well. Many places who seek volunteers to teach English only consider volunteers who have certification and teaching experience. So if you think of the Stallcut family this week, think about praying about their certification for teaching English that they need to volunteer. We enjoy conversations with Ahmed, the fruit vendor near our church in Manhattan. Anna Faith, who is their daughter, 
uh, drew him a picture and baked him some chocolate chip cookies. I took him a Farsi New Testament, and he was quite grateful for it. His English is rather broken, so I am praying that we might be able to make the gospel clear to him. So there you have it. Two prayer requests right there in his letter. One, that they would be able to get their certification for teaching English, and two, that their fruit vendor Ahmed might be able to hear the gospel more clearly. So let's think of the Stallcup family this week as we continue our missions focus for our church. And as we finish this month with our missions focus, we have another one of our special speakers, Brother Ed Jenkins, who is the uh, founder and director of Up Ministries, here to speak for us this evening. Brother Ed. Judges chapter 7, Judges chapter 7, and the title of my message tonight is Accomplishing the Impossible with the Improbable. So let me begin with the question, how improbable do you think it is that God could accomplish something amazing through you? Now I'm not talking about him accomplishing something amazing in you because he's already done that. He did that when he saved you from your sins. Yes. And as Ephesians tells Amen. us, we're seated with God, Christ in the heavenlies. Okay, so he's already accomplished something amazing in you. But what, how improbable do you think it is that he would accomplish something amazing through you? Amen? And so as we look at Judges chapter 7, we're actually going to look at 6 and 7 very briefly. But we're going to begin uh, right now in chapter uh, 7, verse 16. And just read a few verses, and then we'll come back and talk about it for a little while. Beginning in verse 16 of chapter 7, it says, And he, talking about um, Gideon, divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in each man's hand with empty pitchers, lamps, and lamps with, within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow with the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp, and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came, to, came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch, and they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands, and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp, and all the hosts ran and cried and fled. And the three hundred blew the trumpet, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even through all the host. And the host fled to Bethshetah, Zerath, and the border of Abel Muhula, unto Tabith. I hope I didn't slaughter those names too bad. Let's pray. Father, Lord, uh, as we come before you tonight, Lord, we're just thankful, Father, for the opportunity to hear from you, Lord. And I pray, Father, for the filling of your spirit, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would just speak to your people tonight, Lord. And, Lord, just show us, Father, those truths that you want us to know, Lord, those truths that we can take to our heart, Lord, so that we can make ourselves available to you, Lord. And as improbable as it may seem that you would work through us to accomplish something amazing, we know, Lord, that you can do that. And I just ask, Father, that you just drive that, that truth home in every heart that's listening tonight, Father. And I pray that everything that we do will be pleasing to you and will bring our honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Just to provide a little bit of background, 
You know, when I read Judges, Judges to me is actually a heartbreaking book. It really is. You know, when I read Judges, it reminds me of the defeated Christian. You know, those Christians that they just never seem to, to get the victory in life. They just seem to constantly stumble and stumble and stumble. And Cheryl and I have some like, some like that, we, that we minister to, and it's just heartbreaking. And, you know, when you go back into Joshua, you know, we read where Joshua and, and, and the Israelites, they're at the Jordan River, and God has brought them through the, the wilderness, and they're standing there at the Jordan River, and, and God gives them to go ahead to cross through the Jordan River. They cross through the Jordan River and into the Promised Land, and they conquer the Promised Land, and they, and they take possession of the Promised Land, they divide it up. And although they didn't do everything perfectly, you know, they had a defeat at Ai, and they didn't drive all the inhabitants out, you know, like they were told to do. There were some that remained. Overall, to me, the book of Joshua is a book of triumph. Yeah. It's a book of victory. But Judges is a book of defeat, True. I think. True. And, you know, the reason for that is if you go back to the beginning of the book of Judges and we read that Joshua and that generation that came with Joshua into the promised land and saw God do those amazing feats that he did, like at Jericho and other places when they drove out the enemy and they took possession of the land, that generation and Joshua passed away. And in chapter 2, verse, 20, verse 10, chapter 2, verse 10 of Judges, it says, There arose a generation that knew not the Lord, nor the mighty works that he did for Israel. Right. And so Joshua and his generation have passed away, and there's this generation that for whatever reason, they've forgotten about God, they've forgotten God's law, and as Butcher Judges tells us over and over again, they do that which is right in their own sight. And because of that, since they have forsaken God's law and since they have forsaken the Lord, the only place they can go is down. Amen? Whenever we, we drift from the Lord, the only way we can go is down. And so whenever the Israelites, they would do what was right in their own sight, and we know that the heart is deceitful above all things and who can know it, and so they would fall into idolatry, they would fall into sin, and so the Lord would bring them into bondage. Okay? Sin always leads to bondage, doesn't it? Yes. And so the Lord would bring them into bondage, and, when, and then when, when they were in bondage, they would cry out to God. And you know, God is merciful. Even when we deserve his chastisement, and even when we deserve his judgment, he is merciful. He is always merciful. And so when they would cry out, then God would raise up a judge, and that judge would deliver them from their captors, and that judge would lead them for a period of time, and then they would repeat that cycle. And the book of Judges is just repeating that cycle over and over and over. And so for me, the book of Judges is just a heartbreaking book. And so what I want to do tonight, I want to pick up our story in, in, in chapter 6, and we're just going to very briefly cover chapter 6 and 7. Now, we're not going to go into a lot of detail, so you know, I know we have prayer meeting tonight, and I don't want to keep you too long. I know you want to go home and go to bed and so forth, but we're, we're just going to begin in verse, chapter 6, verse 1, and the first thing we read there is it says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. So because of their rebellion, because they have forsaken the Lord, here they are repeating that cycle once again. And so they fall into sin. They did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord brought them into bondage. 
And they were in bondage for seven years, in bondage to the, to the Midianites. And this was a, a difficult seven years for them because if you read those first few verses there in chapter 6, you know, they were living in caves, they were living in dens, and, you know, they would raise crops and produce crops, and the Midianites would come in and raid them and take the crops. They took their sheep, their oxen, their asses, and you can read all that, and they left them with no substance. And so the Israelites, this was a very difficult time for them. And, and so we pick up our story. They, they, of course, it, Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord said he would raise up a prophet, and so he raised up a prophet, and he said, I told you if you do this, you know, that uh, you'd be okay, but you didn't obey my voice. You see that in verse 10 there. And we pick up the story in verse 11. In verse 11 and 12 of chapter 6, it says, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat underneath an oak that was in Ophrah that pertained unto Joash the Abizurite, however you pronounce that, and the son of Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thy mighty man of valor. The first thing we see here is the, the angel of the Lord told Gideon, The Lord is with thee, thy mighty man of valor. Now, was Gideon acting like a mighty man of valor? You know, when I think of, who do you think of, who do you think of when you think of a mighty man of valor in the Bible? David, right? right. David was a mighty man of valor. Joshua. Caleb, you know, they were mighty men of valor. They were warriors, right? right? They were warriors. Gideon is hiding and threshing wheat. And we read later on that when God told him to go and tear down the altar of Baal and the groves, he did it, but he did it at night because he was afraid of the people. And so the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, God, the Lord is with thee, thy mighty man of valor. That tells me the first thing we see here is that God saw Gideon based on what he could accomplish through him. Amen? God saw Gideon. He saw what he could accomplish. He didn't see Gideon as he was or as he saw himself. He saw Gideon as what he could accomplish through him. Amen. Okay? So that's the first point we, bring, we see. The second thing we see is that God promised to be with Gideon. Let's look at verse 13. So the angel of the Lord says, The Lord is with thee, thy mighty man of valor. And Gideon responds and says, O oh my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, Amen. and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. Amen. So the, the angel of the Lord says, The Lord is with thee, thy mighty man of valor. And, and Gideon says, If the Lord is with me, if the Lord is with us, why, why is all this befallen us? Why are we captive? Why are we having all these troubles, these problems? You know, why? He's, he's obviously forsaken us. And the Lord says, You will deliver uh, Israel out of the hand of the Midianites. And then what does Gideon say? He says, oh, I have nothing to offer the Lord. I can't do anything. I'm, I'm from the poor family in Manassas, and even in that poor family, I'm the least of the family. I can't do any. I can't deliver Israel from the Midianites. 
And then the Lord said, I surely, I will be with you. Amen. You know, whenever God sends out his servant, no matter how big the task, no matter how small the task, God is with him. You know, beginning from Abraham, when he called Abraham out of Ur the Chaldees, and he told him to go into a land that he would tell them of, God was with him every step of the way. Even when Abraham sinned and lied about Sarah being his wife, God was still with him and blessed him. And God was with Noah when he told Noah to build that ark. He said, build that ark for the saving of your family. And, and it had never rained, and Noah built an ark, and his family got into that ark, and God brought the rain, and God sealed up that ark, and he was with Noah and his family for 40 days as they floated on that, that flood that God sent. And he brought them safely to a mountaintop. And God has been with his children. When you can read from, from Abraham, from all the way through all the patriarchs, all the prophets, the disciples, all the way up until uh, John is on the Isle of Patmos writing the book of Revelation. God is always with his people. In fact, one of the names of the Lord is what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. Amen. So we see that God is always with his people. Amen? Amen. The third thing we see, well, first of all, just very briefly, well, I told you today that Gideon went up, and just to cover the rest of this chapter very briefly, Gideon went up and destroyed the altar of Baal. He built an offer for the Lord, offered a sacrifice. You know, you can go back, you can read that tonight or, or this weekend or sometime, but please go back and read this. We're not going to take the time to do it tonight. But he goes up and he destroys the groves, destroys the, um, the altars of Baal and so forth and so on. And then in verse 32, we read, Therefore, on the day he called him Jerubbabel, saying, I'm sorry, verse 33, Then all the Midianites and the Malachites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. So here we are in, we're in Israel, and, and you got the valley of Jezreel running through Israel, and Cheryl and I have seen that. We passed through it numerous times on our tour. But they got the valley of Jezreel, and here you have the Midianites and the Amalekites there camped along this valley of Jezreel. And we read later on that, that they were as grasshoppers. There were so many of them that when you looked at them, it was like they were everywhere. It was like grasshoppers. And it said their camels were like the, the sand of the sea. And that's what, Gabe, that's what Gideon is looking at when he looks down in that valley and he sees these, these people. And he's just you know, overwhelmed by the number of all these people, I'm sure. And then in verse, in verse uh, 7, chapter 7, beginning chapter 7, um, Jerubbabel, who was Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the wall of Herod. So the host of the Midianites were on the north side by them and the, on the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give to the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel should vaunt itself against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. So Gideon says, you know, first of all, Gideon says, Well, Lord, if you really want me to go up against these Midianites, then, you know, just, just show me a sign. And so he said, you, you know the story. You heard this from Sunday school. And so he says, if you will, I'm going to put this fleece on the ground. And, and if you really want me to do this, then when, in the morning I want this fleece to be wet and I want the ground to be dry. And so God in his grace and his mercy and his patience, he says, okay, so Gideon puts the, the fleece on the ground. He comes back the next morning. The ground's dry. 
and the fleece is soaking wet, so wet he, he wrings out a bowl of water out of it, right? You would think Gideon would say, okay, Lord, I got the message. No, Gideon's like a lot of us, right? Yeah. And he says, well, Lord, I, you know, please, you know, just be merciful, be patient, you know, please, just, just to make sure, can we do this one more time? And this time, would you please just put the dew on the grass and have the fleece dry? And God's so merciful and kind and loving and patient. And he said, so he puts the fleece down, and God makes the grass wet and the fleece. And so then God tells, you know, Gideon's got the answer. He says, okay, I know this is what the Lord wants me to do. I know I'm going to do it. And then the Lord says, okay, but there's one little problem. You got too many people. Now he's looking down at these Midianites and these Amalekites that are like grasshoppers and their camels are as the sand of the sea and God's telling him he's got too many people. He's saying, you got too many people because I don't want you to think that you're the one that's free in Israel. Amen. See, what we have to remember here is this was a time when people had forsaken God. This was a time when they were doing what was right in their own eyes. And God says, let's get something straight. I'm the one that's delivering you from Israel. Amen. I'm the one. And I want to make it clear to you that it's me that's doing it and not you. Because I don't want you vaunting yourself. You know, we all have that problem with pride, don't we? And God says, you know, I want everybody to know who's doing the work here. It's not you. It's me. And he wanted to make that clear with, with Gideon. And so he tells Gideon, he says, anybody that's fearful... Out of your men, anybody that's fearful can go. And right off the bat, Gideon lost 22,000 men. Right off the bat, 22,000 men. So now he's here and he's got 10,000 men. And he's like, okay, 10,000 men. I don't know about this, but we're going to go. And what does the Lord say? That's still too many. And so he does this little test of drinking the water. And then he says, gets them down to 300 men. And then he tells Gideon, he said, with these 300 men, you're going to deliver yes. Israel Amen. from the Midianites. Next thing, so we see that God has, um, I just went blind, I'm sorry. God has, has uh, strengthened Gideon. God has, has uh, told Gideon that he would go with him. And now God, in, in the fourth point I want to point out is that God is strengthening Gideon. Gideon, I'm sorry. God is strengthening Gideon. Look at verse 9 of chapter 7. And it came to pass that same night the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down to the host, for I have delivered him thee into thy hand. So God is saying, okay, it's time to go. I want you to go and deliver it, the Midi Israel from the Midianites. But then he says, but if thou fear to go down... Go thou down with fear of thy servant down to the host, and thou shalt hear what they say, and afterward thine hand shall be strengthened to go down into the host. Then he went down with fear of his servant unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. And, and we won't read the rest of it, but what he does is he goes down, him and his servant, he goes down and he listens in at the camp. And one of the men tells about a dream he had. And in that dream, there's this loaf of barley bread that rolls down this hill and hits the tent and tears the tent down, knocks the tent down. And as he tells this dream to his companion there, 
The companion says, this is nothing but Gideon, the Israelite, because God is going to deliver the Midians into his hand. And when Gideon heard that, he went back to Israel and look at verse 15. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshiped and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. So now think about this. When we first started, Gideon was hiding and threshing wheat, and he was saying, the Lord has deserted us, the Lord has, has forsaken us, and I'm from a poor family in, in Man Manasseh, and I'm the least of that family. There's nothing I can do for the Lord. I have nothing to offer the Lord. He goes from that to saying, arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Gideon. Midian. That's because the Lord had strengthened yes. Gideon. The Lord has strengthened Gideon. You know, God knows how to equip his servants, and he knows how to strengthen his servants. You know, we are so weak. We are so needy. And if it wasn't for his strength and his enabling, none of us could do anything. But he's always there to encourage us, to strengthen us, and to enable us. Amen? The final thing we see is that God gave Gideon the victory. Look at, start with chapter, verse 19 of chapter 7. It says, So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came into the outside of the camp. Now, Gideon had already took this, taken his 300 men, and he divided them up into three companies of 100. And so Gideon takes his hundred men, and they go to the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch, and they were newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew their trumpets and break their pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow with all. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So picture this. Here God is take, says, takes these 300 men and go down against this great company that's like, you know, grasshoppers. They're everywhere. And then you circle them. And he says, you know, blow the trumpet, break the pitcher, and hold up the, the, the lantern. So here they are, according to the verse here, they got a lantern in their left hand and a trumpet in their right hand. What's missing? They don't have a sword. They don't have a weapon. They're going down against the Midianites with no weapons, just a trumpet, a pitcher, and a lantern. So who gave the victory? Yes, was it Gideon and his 300 men? No, it was God. And look what happened. And they stood every man, verse 21, they stood every man in his place round about the camp, and all the hosts ran and cried and fled. And the 300 men blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even through all the host. And the host fled to Bethshetha and Zerath, and even to the border of Abel Mahulah, Unto Tabith. So they blew the trumpets, they broke the pitchers, they held up their lanterns, and God caused so much chaos that they were fighting each other, and then they fled. Yeah. That is a victory only God can give. Amen. Amen. That is a victory that only God can give. You know, from a human perspective, it's very improbable that God would use a man like Gideon to free the, the Israelites from Midian, doesn't it? 
It's, ver it's just seemed very improbable. And maybe you feel like it's just improbable that God would use you for anything of significance. But you know, God delights in accomplishing impossible or the seemingly impossible tasks through improbable people. I think of Moses, right? Moses was hiding on the backside of the desert, tending sheep, and God appeared to him and said, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to speak on my behalf and tell them to let my people go. And what did Moses say? You know, I, I'm, I'm slow to speak. I, I can't speak. You know, I can't go to Pharaoh. I can't speak. And, yada. and yet God used him Amen. to free the Israelites and to lead them through the Red Sea, through the wilderness for 40 years. Amen. Right? Joseph. Joseph was the youngest of his brothers. He was looked down on his brothers, maybe even hated because they sold, they were jealous, definitely jealous of him. And they sold him into slavery. He was taken to another country where he was falsely accused, yeah. imprisoned, and forgotten. And while he's sitting in that prison, he had no idea. He probably thought it was very improbable that God was going to do something magnificent in his life. But God raised him to the second highest position in the land yeah. and used him not only to save Egypt during the famine, famine, but his family in the line of Christ. God used a little shepherd boy and a stone to slay a giant that had the entire Israeli army trembling in fear. Yeah. Yeah. God used a shepherd boy and a stone. Amen. 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 God used three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, right. and Abednego. Amen. And because they honored God, the only honored the God of heaven. If he refused to bow down to this image of a king, they were thrown into a furry, fiery furnace, and they came out unscathed, didn't even smell like smoke. The only thing that was burned was the bonds that held them in place. And through that, God was glorified. Yeah. Amen. God took another Hebrew man named Daniel, who prayed as he always had, even when he was told not to, he said, I'm going to pray to my Father in heaven. He prayed as he always had, was thrown into a lion's den, and God gave those lions lockjaw. Yeah. And he spent the night in there with those lions. He came out the next morning and didn't have a scratch on him, and God was glorified. Amen. You see a theme here? Yes. It's about God's glory. Yes. Amen. God can accomplish incredible things through improbable people because it's for his glory. Amen. Amen. It's not about you and me. It's about him. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you a question. I got, I got a couple of examples I just want to share with you real quickly. Personal examples that Cheryl and I know about. There's a young man. Well, I call him young man. He's 40 years old. In prison in, in North Carolina. And this man is, every morning, he has a group of guys that comes to his cell and he does the Bible. He, uh, he, they have a devotional, and they have prayer time together. And he called me, and he told me that he had to separate. He's trying to live for the Lord. He told me he's trying to separate. He had to separate from another Christian that we both know because of the way that other Christian was living. Right? And so I asked him, I said, do you want to have some Bible studies so you guys can do some Bible studies instead of just your devotionals. And he said, yeah, I sent him some Bible studies. He called me back again 
And he told me, asked me if I could send a Bible to another inmate there. And I asked him, I said, is that, guy, is that man saved? And he said, yes, sir. He said, when somebody comes to our group, the first thing I do is make sure they're saved. And if they're not, I find out what we need to do to get him right with Jesus. Now, here's a man, he's, he's meeting with a handful of guys in, in a prison cell, and they're having a daily devotional, doing a few Bible studies. He's sharing a, the gospel with a few of them, and they're praying together. That doesn't seem anything impossible, anything magnificent, does it? But what is magnificent is six months, four, six months ago, six months ago, he was a member of Hell's Angels. Wow. He told me that he used to fight two or three men at a time. He's been shot. He's been stabbed. He's wrecked his motorcycle at over 100 miles an hour. He's flipped his blazer running 65 miles an hour. And that man that did all of that separated from another Christian because that Christian wasn't living right. And he's leading a Bible study and a prayer group from his prison cell. Amen. That is truly God doing the impossible through the improbable. True. In my book. Amen. Amen. Another guy, he's in a halfway house in North Carolina, Fayetteville, North Carolina. There's a Kentucky Fried Chicken across the street from the halfway house. He went over and he got him a job. Man's 58 years old. He got a job cooking chicken at Kentucky Fried Chicken. He's got another job at Jiffy Lube. So in the morning, he'll cross the street, go to Kentucky Fried Chicken, and he'll cook chicken for a few hours, and then he'll get on the bus and go to, to Jiffy Lube and work for a few hours, and then take the bus back to the halfway house. And he calls us every two or three weeks, and he told me, he said, when I'm at the bus stop, when I'm on the bus, he said, I'm telling people about the Lord, I'm trying to encourage them, I'm doing all this stuff. And I said, would you like to have some tracks? Yeah, send me some tracks. So Cheryl and I put a bunch of tracks in a box and we mailed them to him. We went to Virginia Beach Saturday. We were coming home and he called us while we were on the way home from Virginia Beach. And he said, man, I love these tracks. I'm passing these tracks out. He said, he said I saw a guy today. He said, uh, he was down on his luck. I talked to him about the Lord, tried to encourage him. I gave him $5 in a track. Now here's a guy that's working at Kentucky Fried Chicken in Jiffy Lube yeah. and he's giving away $5 to somebody that's down on their luck. And he said, man, I just, I just love giving out these tracks. Amen. Now, that's nothing amazing, is it? But just a few years ago, that man was an alcoholic that had destroyed his life and lost everything he held dear and had committed crimes that cost him a state prison sentence and a federal prison sentence. And today he is just as joyful as he can be because he's got a job at Kentucky Fried Chicken and a job at Jiffy Lube, and he's able to tell a few people at a bus stop and on the bus about Jesus. Amen. Now maybe you can't relate to a former Hell's Angel holding a Bible study or a former alcoholic winning people to the Lord or trying to win people to the Lord, but maybe this one you can identify with. And it, con it concerns a young... North Carolina farm boy. You know, those North Carolina farm boys, they're good boys, right? But this, North Carolina, in 1949, I think the preacher will probably recognize this, in 1949, this young North Carolina, 30-year-old North Carolina farm boy held a tent revival in Los Angeles. 
Yes, that tent revival was, supposed, was scheduled to last for three weeks. That tent revival lasted for eight weeks. And at the end of that eight weeks, 3,000 people had made a decision for Christ. Amen. 3,000 people. A 30-year-old farm boy from North Carolina. 3,000 people were saved. God used that young farm boy to come, become one of the most well-known, most recognized and respected evangelists of our time. His name was Billy Graham. Now, maybe you and I weren't going to be a Billy Graham, but you know what? God has something for all of us to do. That's right. And you say, well, Brother Ed, what has this got? This is missions month. Yes. What's this got to do with missions? Well, you know, worldwide missions and worldwide evangelism is not a spectator sport. No, sir. We all have a role to play. Amen. We all have a part to play. And my question to you is, what is your role? It may just be being a prayer warrior. It may just be giving or it may be going. What is your role in reaching Woodbridge for Christ? Reaching Prince William County for Christ? Yeah. Preaching the world, reaching the world for Christ? Yes. We all have a role. And you know, just like, Joan, just like Gideon, we see that Gideon, God saw Gideon based on what he could accomplish through him. And you know, when God looks at us, he sees who we are in Christ, and he sees what he can do through us. And God promised Gideon that he would be with him. God promised us the same thing, didn't he? Jesus said, I will send you another comforter who will abide with you forever. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Amen. God used Gideon to complete an seemingly impossible task. But God got the glory. Yes. Amen. And he will do mighty things through you and me as long as we give him the glory. Amen. Amen. God gave Gideon the victory. And whatever he calls us to do, we can accomplish it if we simply trust him and obey him. Amen. Amen. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Father, Lord, I just thank you, Father, for this time in your word, Lord, and I just pray, Father, that you would just take your word and just drive it into the hearts of your people, Father, whether on YouTube or here in the sanctuary, Lord. I pray, Father, that you will be glorified and your will be done during this invitation. In Jesus' precious name. Men, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe this evening you are being called to full-time ministry, maybe as a missionary in a foreign land, maybe as a preacher or a Sunday school teacher or anything like that. Use the message that you just heard to answer the calling from God. Maybe tonight you are here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you're listening right now and you don't know that if you died right now, you would go to heaven. The Bible tells us that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that the wages of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If we will only call on him and believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died to pay for your sins, you can be saved. You can... Just repeat after this, mean it in your heart, dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe that Jesus died for me, and right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I died.